Previously on Case Unsolved. Michaud, white female. Cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation. And she was laying on the bed, naked. Cord around her neck. And our department really wanted to solve this. It's always stayed with me, uh, right on through all the different ranks that I held and all the different jobs that I did in the police department. For some places, well, she's just a prostitute. What are you doing spending all that time? I mean, it's not like this happened even five years ago. I mean, this is 1984, you know, 30-some years ago. Let's, you know, let's close this case. You know, that's what I want. And whatever it takes. I'm Carlos Virgen from The Day in New London, Connecticut. On Case Unsolved, we tell the stories of unsolved murders and the people, family, friends, and law enforcement who are left without resolution. This is the third and final part of Desiree Michaud's story. A young person like that, uh, you know, who says, who knows what she could have done with her life. There's some people that die in life and you say, well, they lived their life I think that she was symbolic of, of really of a New London. Susan Zakin, now a freelance writer in California, covered the murder and its aftermath for the day. You know, New London is a town with a pretty dark history. You know, there's a whaling. And, um, and then we know now that the slave trade uh, really built the economy of New England. And then, of course, you know, the mills and her, her family was French-Canadian, came down to work in the mills, and then the mills collapsed. So there's this long period of poverty in New London being essentially a red-light district for the Navy. And so here was Desiree, who had this desire to be an artist, and, and this, at the same time, there was this effort underway to really... Change New London, or to take take this um, kind of seediness of New London and turn it into art, turn it into something really positive. So I think when she when she was killed, um, it it was it was a sort of sense of dashed hopes. Here's reporter Karen Florin. Some of our initial reporting on this mentioned that a play called Hands had been produced almost inspired by or in honor of Desiree Mashad. We included her, not really her, but um, what she represented. Resurrección Espinosa co-wrote Hands with her late husband, Charles Frink which was uh, an artist who has to struggle in, the, in our community or in any community that he or she lives in, and uh, who found a, um, an ending that was both, uh, we thought that it was uh, in a way predictable because uh, it was such a dangerous place in a way, uh, and, uh, and very touching because, uh, of course, her own uh, hopes for becoming an artist, which is what she wanted to do, she was a very good painter, uh, were cut short. 
So uh, for us, uh, it was an homage to an artist. She was very enthusiastic about coming in, sharing all the material with us, the music, the script, and what she remembered from the atmosphere being after Desiree was killed and how it really did touch people in the arts community because Desiree had been in the arts community and everybody had high hopes for Desiree and you know it really affected them. Hands was a play about life on Bank Street with characters inspired by the people Frank and Espinosa met there. A waitress with a bad back, a savvy stockbroker, a tenacious urban gardener, and an eloquent teenage hoodlum according to a 1985 article in the day. The title was inspired, at least in part, by a mural Desiree painted while in prison. One of our uh, actresses was a, um, a, a security officer, I don't know whether that's the, the, the term, correction a correction officer at, um, at the York um, prison in Niantic. And um, she knew that this painting was there, and a photographer went and, and, uh, and uh, photographed it. And of course, it, 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 um, it was great for us because there were two hands. One was black and the other was white, and there were bars, and they were passing a rose uh, through the bars. So that, that was another way in which it connected with the hands and it connected with, uh, with our uh, bigger meaning of reaching out, of creating, and of being uh, more gentle neighbors. The whole production wasn't about Desiree, um, but a couple of numbers were about Desiree. The music you hear in the background is from a cassette recording of hands. We didn't have a recording of the dialogue, so we brought in actors to read a few scenes. There's one in particular where a policeman is talking about it. I don't know nothing about art, all that crazy stuff, but these are real pictures. Now tell me, how come she was a whore? I don't mean no occasional trick to pay the rent. I mean a good, steady, hard-working whore. Busted 13 times. Now, you know, we try to look the other way. We only bust them when there's complaints. Thirteen goddamn times. She could have done something else. Yeah, she had talent. And there's another part where two women, um, it sounds like an older um, and younger prostitute, are also talking about it, you know, wistfully as in, um, but, but, but hauntingly as in, wow, you know, it could have happened to us, um, but it happened to Desiree Mashad, and she was actually somebody kind of special. Who do you suppose done it? I don't know. You don't know. Why bother supposing? Can't help supposing. I mean, suppose we get some big trick moved in and gets it off killing the girls. Anybody tries it on me gets a kick in the balls. Yeah, but I ain't got your muscle. They represent two um, ladies of the night. The hygienic was a place where um, these women would come. It was open all the time. There was a sign that says, um, uh, open for breakfast when open, which means any time of the day or night you could uh, go there. Um, also, there was a saying that if you ever, uh, that it was the, the dirtiest uh, restaurant this side of the Mississippi, even though it was called the hygienic. <laughs> 
Suppose we get some nut moved in. Suppose that's it. Nah, she had it coming. Huh? Face it, she was too good looking for the street. Too smart. She belonged higher up. Some jerk probably thought he really cared about her, wanted her to quit the trade, and she wouldn't go with him, and they had it out after some booze and stuff, and she lost. There was a lot of talk around that she wanted to save money and leave town. And um, I you know, we thought that probably um, it was a very good, probably a, 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 an idea that made sense that somebody cared for her and didn't want her to leave. Imagine, hands around your throat so you can't breathe. No help, no place. Jeez. Maybe it ain't so bad. Huh? I think of the lady I worked for once. Ended up in the hospital. Tubes and tests and dope. Took months for her to choke to death. Maybe a good strong pair of hands ain't all that bad. Yeah, but 18? So, who's coming? For you and me, huh? What's coming? The policeman's talking about what could have been almost makes a social commentary in terms of, geez, they, they're putting all this effort into finding who killed her, but why didn't they put the effort into getting her off the street, helping her get her life together, um, helping her achieve her dreams and use her talent as an artist? 18 years old had to run into some nut. So now they got money on him. That's the part that burns my ass. Now she's dead, they put money to catch the creep who done it. They should have paid her to paint pictures in City Hall, the library, the hospital, every place. They spend it on you when you need it. He was um, grieving, really, for the fact that we pay attention to these tragedies when somebody has been hurt, okay? But we really don't pay much attention about the conditions of lives of a lot of people, especially young people. How do we help them to uh, uh, really to deal with the great challenges that we have? And also we, how we can help them to develop rather than leave them out uh, really in the cold. As, as the city was, and that he was bemoaning that, I think. Uh, the fact that, that we failed, we as a society failed people in that way. It was a pretty powerful production that when asked about Desiree's own sister didn't really know about. So imagine that. I mean, she's living here in the area, and the arts community in New London is having this huge response to Desiree's, you know, murder. And Desiree's own family is not really even aware of that's going on. Our initial reporting, you know, 30 odd years ago indicated there was an unmarked grave. And when I asked Tina about that, she said, oh no, no, it's marked, it's a marked grave. And I said, wow, um, would you show it to us? So that one Saturday afternoon, she uh, agreed to meet us there. I guess she's uh, got a very busy life, um, working, uh, married with 
children and grandchildren. She agreed to meet us there between her, her jobs one Saturday afternoon. And Tina had asked, said she had only been to the cemetery, I think, twice before. She'd only been to her sister's grave twice before. And so she didn't quite know where it was, but knew it was under a tree. And of course, it's, it's a cemetery with quite a few trees, and as, as many have. And we spent, you know, some time walking around, kicking leaves away from graves, looking for Desiree's gravesite. Her mother had given her some direction on where it was, but she, you know, all she really knew was it's under the big tree on this side of the cemetery. So uh, I was afraid that she was going to give up. And I didn't want to give up, so we uh, just spent some time until finally I kicked some leaves off a grave, and there it was, Desiree Mashad. Desiree's um, grave marker with a small cross above her name. Um, there's a small artist's palette with a paintbrush etched beneath it. And on either side of the artist, uh, the painter's palette, um, are her year of birth, 1965, and her year of death, 1984. We haven't seen any of her art, and her family has told us several times that all of her art, anything that was in her possession, is being held by the police as evidence. They have everything. They, she has so many pictures in that photo album, we can't get it. The police took yeah. it as evidence? Yeah. They have everything. They have all her drawings, all her pictures, whatever she had. So it seems there is nothing for us to look at, maybe someday. Though Connecticut's cold case unit has been defunded, cold cases are considered active. Groton detective Heather Beauchamp, who had been a member of the cold case unit, recently followed up on a tip in the Desiree Michaud case. I did receive a tip and we conducted more interviews here to try to firm up the tip that we received. And we did make a trip down to Texas and we followed up on that lead and we've pretty much completed the lead. And unfortunately, we, it doesn't look like it's going to solve the case. Retired detectives Mike Lewin and Matt Morton continue to hold out hope that someone, somewhere, will call in a tip that will lead to an arrest. If anyone has any information, just call and leave, leave the information with the police department, whether it's New London Police Department or, or the town police department. Anything that they would say would be followed up. The reward, I believe, is still out there. You might have heard somebody talking about it, you know, an uncle or, you know, a friend or... Somebody knows something. You know, something like that, you don't keep to yourself. I don't care who you are, you're going to say something to someone, whether it was back then and whoever they told it to was too afraid to say something, or after time, you know, after so many years, you may be at a bar drinking and somebody will blurt something out. It happens. It always, you know, sooner or later, someone else is going to know. And 
and we're just waiting for that other person to make a phone call. You know, if it proves the follow-up and we make an arrest on it, on conviction, there is a reward. If you have a tip about Desiree Mashad's murder, please contact the Groton Town Police at 860-441-6716 or the New London State's Attorney's Office at 860-443-2835. We'll be recording a bonus episode on the Desiree Mashad case. Next week, we'll answer listener questions and we'll talk to Groton Town Detective Heather Beauchamp and Assistant State's Attorney Krista L. Baker, who is assigned to prosecute the Mishad case. If you have a question about the Mishad case, post it on the Case Unsolved Facebook group or email us at caseunsolved at theday.com. Case Unsolved is produced by Peter Wappi and me, Carlos Virgen. Reporting was done by Karen Florin. Editing and audio mixing by Peter Wappi. Tim Cotter is executive producer, and Sassy Larinetta is associate producer. I produce the music used in the series. Voice actors for the reading of scenes from Hands the Play were Madeline Dower, Sharon Marr, and Joe Ruggeri. This has been a production of The Day in New London, Connecticut.